Oh, Jesus, please, as you have blessed the reading of your word, please bless the preaching of your word and open our hearts, God, to know you, to love you, uh, to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's see if I remember how to do this. It's good to be home. I, um, I, I'm told I will be revested in a little while. So did you think, bless his heart, he just forgot his stole. Um, it's, I haven't earned it back yet. I guess they're waiting to see how the sermon goes. Um, I know y'all are in such good hands, though, while, while I was gone. I just um, I, I want to thank uh, publicly from the pulpit, I just want to thank Deacon Beth for uh, holding it together this uh, uh, in worship. Um, just a lot of priests you had to put up with and uh, tr- train and retrain. Uh, Bob Moore, thank you so much for uh, doing everything. And I know y'all gave her a standing ovation last week with Elaine Allen. I just, um, you know, how. And. Uh, the altar guild also had to put up with a lot of a lot of preferences, a lot of uh, pesky priests over the, over the summer, and, uh, and the vestry. Thank you so much for for allowing me that time, and all of you. I mean, just so many of you prayed for us some daily, uh, prayed for us, and so thank you so much. And I know that y'all had I mean, some really good preachers too while while I was. Uh, gone. I, in fact, I listened to the sermon. I'd, I'd seen some chatter about it uh, on, online, actually. So I listened to the sermon where Marsha preached from over there, and, and she preached, and Bob sang, and I just thought, I didn't know you could do that. You know, like, I, I <laughs> you can do that? Um, gosh, though, I'm, I'm glad to be back. I, we had some great uh, family moments this summer, and, uh, you know, one of my favorites was uh, just a I guess a few weeks ago, seven or so weeks ago, when we were in uh, Wyoming, we went whitewater rafting down the Snake River, which is, uh, runs through uh, the Grand Tetons. We, the, the portion that you whitewater raft is a little bit south of, of Jackson, uh, Wyoming. And uh, we, were, we had told the, the guide that we wanted a good ride. We wanted it to be kind of exciting. And so uh, the guide put uh, Thomas and Luke and Caroline right at the very front of the boat. Um, Thomas had a paddle and Caroline had a paddle and Luke was on his knees just face first right into the thing. And we came up on this class three rapid. Now there's five classes of rapids. Class three means it's exciting but it's not that dangerous if you fall out. Like you're not going to get sucked under a, a rock or something like that, that. But it was exciting to be sure. And uh, this particular class three rapid was called the Big Kahuna. And, uh, and it was indeed. And so... Um, and we went, uh, because we asked the guy, we said we wanted a great ride, and we went nose first right into the big kahuna, and it slapped all of us, but especially the kids, like just right in the face. And when we got there, we looked, and uh, Amy and I were in the middle of the boat, and Caroline also was in the middle of the boat with her feet up in the air, flopping like this. And uh, when she finally kind of got upright and back in her seat, she laughed for five minutes, and it was just... It really was one of my favorite moments of, of the summer, just to see that, that joy. There was absolutely not one inch 
of our bodies that was not completely soaked, just, just totally uh, drenched. And it was just a, a beautiful day and a beautiful moment uh, for our lives. Now, I, got, I don't have a lot of time to tell a bunch of stories. I, I do have a lot of stories to tell, I can promise you. Um, but this morning from the, from the pulpit, I, I want to talk about uh, Jesus. Uh, because, uh, you know, life with Jesus can sometimes feel like a whitewater adventure, uh, I think, sometimes can it. And when you have been hit by the wave of God's grace, there is not one inch of your life that is not covered, that is not soaked, that is not, I mean, you are drenched in God's love, to be sure, but it's not just mere affection, right? It is, I mean, it literally changes everything. It changes everything. We know God changes our identity, how we think of ourselves, changes our, the core of our being. It changes what defines you. I mean, no longer your successes, no longer your failures, no longer your looks, no longer your job. Just uh, It's Jesus. Uh, God's grace is not merely God forgiving us. Certainly it is that. It's not Him just befriending us, though certainly it is that. But His grace is uh, literally God uniting us to himself clearing away all the stuff that we have in our lives that that uh, separates us from himself and and uniting us to himself saint paul often says in his writings that we are in christ and and when i think of that image uh, that we're in christ uh, what comes to mind usually is an like an envelope and we're in it and we're sealed over the top we're we're in christ or as one preacher said uh, we are uh, caged in God's grace. Like we can't get out, even if we, we wouldn't want to, but we can't get out. Uh, or St. Paul sometimes says that we are uh, clothed. He re- references it in our passage this morning. We're clothed in Christ. When you get smacked by the wave of God's grace, that grace wave, you are covered in Jesus. And not one inch of your life is left untouched. And what that means is that a Christian's life is, is going to be different. And it's very often different from the world around us. But it is certainly different with Christ than our life was before Christ. And why is that? It's because Christ is different. And if every part of you is covered with His grace, then it's going to make a major difference in your life. And that's good. I mean, that's, that's hope. And some people really hear that because, you know, we're trapped in our own stuff. Even as we know Christ, sometimes we're trapped in our own stuff and we have the hope that there is difference, that there is, um, there is in, in some sense, a way, a way out or a way forward. There's purpose. Sometimes others, though, hear that, you know, there's a different, it makes a difference in your life. It's kind of hear it as judgmental or oppressive or constricting. And I wonder just sort of which, just let's notice, which way does that feel to you? Hopeful or constricting? We're going to come to this passage uh, in Romans primarily, and Paul is describing the difference of the Christian life. And I think if we just take this passage on its own, we take it sort of out of its context, which is how it works 
when we just read a little bit of it on one Sunday morning, that it kind of feels like a to-do list, a little bit of a finger wag. You know, and, and a lot of people really think that's what Christianity is. It's just one more moral to-do list. And that's why people will say that, you know, all religions are basically the same because they're just, you know, the morals are, are pretty similar. But, but that is actually fundamentally not what Christianity is about. That's just the consequence in our lives. And I want you to remember that as, uh, as we come to Romans, and I don't know if y'all have gone through any of Romans uh, this summer, but um, Romans, as, as all of Paul's letters, was meant to be read. It was meant to be read out loud. It was meant to be read out loud in one sitting. It would have taken well over an hour. It's the longest, uh, one of the longest of his readings. And this is chapter 13, so we're way, way into it. We're on the back, well into the back half. And I just want to recap for you, just give you a few snippets of what Paul's original audience has already heard. And so we have our, our passage in context. So, so chapter 1, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Chapter 3, no one will be justified in God's sight by works of the law. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed through faith in Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's the grace wave. Chapter 6, the wages... Of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Chapter 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So as we come to chapter 13, I mean, it's just been grace wave after grace wave after grace wave. And we get there uh, and we are soaked because this is not just for Paul's original audience. Is this for you? While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. Christianity is not fundamentally about what we are to do for God, but what God has done for us. And so we're soaked. But we got to ask, though, the question. And Paul's, that's what Paul's doing in chapter 12 and 13. And on the, he, what, so what, what difference does it make in our lives? What are we going to do about that? How do we respond? What is life like now that we are in Christ? As we come to this text, I wonder if are there parts of your life that you hadn't let Christ into yet? I wonder if you've kept sort of the raincoat over the top of parts of your lives. So that it couldn't get, you know, you might be here, and, and I don't know because I've been away for a little bit. There might be some that are here that are still considering Christ. I'm not really sure what to think about that. And I just want to say, like, I hope what you find here is, is compelling. I'm so glad that you're here. Because I think what we have in Christ, this difference, it is so good. And it is so free. Paul is speaking to Christians who now have been soaked by grace wave after grace wave. And he says, owe no one anything except to love one another. Owe no one anything except to love one another. Now, I've uh, heard folks like Dave Ramsey 
uh, other folks use this verse, and he's saying, you know, it says right here, no, owe no one anything, so you should not have credit card debt, uh, you know, things like that. And I would say that's, that's really good financial advice. Uh, it's probably not what Paul's exactly talking about, um, but it's good advice. Paul, I mean, a little bit similar. Paul's been talking about our relationship with the government. And if you go back and read earlier in, in, in chapter 13, because that was actually a real question. How do we as, as Christians, as uh, chosen ones from uh, the Jewish race, many, or come into this faith, how do we relate to this sort of non-religious institution? The government is probably still a good question uh, for some of us. And Paul says, be good citizens. They pay your taxes. That was a moral question. Should we give money to this regime? Fulfill, fulfill your obligations, Paul says. And, and, and I think what he's getting to is essentially uh, don't create a bad reputation for Christians. Right? That doesn't, doesn't honor Christ. It doesn't help the cause. And so he says, in fact, I mean, how about this? Just don't owe anybody anything except to love one another. And in that one little phrase, Paul has flipped the focus from what should we do to what should we be. From boxes to check off, have I done this, have I done this, have I done this, to the consequence of grace in our lives as we're in Christ. From, um, uh, how, from the focus on serving myself, which is the most natural thing in the world, to a focus on serving others. Christians are different because we are in Christ and Jesus is different. This is not saying if you want to be a Christian, you better act like it. This is saying if you're a Christian, if you have been forgiven, freed, if you have received the most amazing love in the universe, if you've been blessed, if you have lived with the hope of heaven on the horizon, then what that means is you are an ambassador for Christ. You are a walking billboard of invitation to know the King of Kings. You are a testimony of the glory and the goodness of that difference, of that hope in your life. You are a banner of good news. Doesn't mean you have it all together, but you are an ambassador for Christ. Paul says, no owe no one anything except to love one another. He's not just saying, so be nice, right? Be tolerant. He's not saying that. We say, when he says this, he's orienting us uh, to love, and he does it by uh, framing it in two ways. First, uh, debt, and second, direction. Debt and direction. So first, debt. He doesn't say, don't owe, just love. I mean, that would be sort of like, um, oh, I'm not there yet in my notes. Um, he, says, uh, he says, don't owe anyone anything except to love. Except to love. Paul sets up love as a debt. And why would he do that? Like, if I have a mortgage, there's a certain amount that I have to pay. And once I have paid the full amount, I don't have to pay anymore. That mortgage is paid off. I'm under, I have fulfilled my obligation and I don't have to pay them any more money. I will never get to a place where I, where I um, 
don't have to love anymore. I'll never get to a place where I can say, I've loved all I need to love that person or those people. And why is that? Because God proved his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He gave until there was literally nothing left to give. And when we're in Christ, we love what he loves. And since his love never ends, neither does ours. Don't owe anyone anything, Paul says. Now, what if that's just not, not just about finances? What if I owe someone an apology? What if I owe them an explanation? What if I owe someone a phone call or a visit? I mean, if you look at the gospel passage in Matthew 18, you might even say that, I mean, it's even when we feel like someone owes us. I mean, Matthew 18 says, Jesus says, when someone sins against you, I mean, we would say, well, I'm, they got to come to me, right? What does Jesus say? No. What are you supposed to do? Go post on social media about how you've been wronged, right? <laughs> go spread nasty rumors about them at their workplace. No. You go to them and you reconcile. You reconcile with them the same way that Jesus reconciled with us after we messed up with him. Because Christians are different. And what if they don't want to reconcile? What do you do? You go back. You bring a couple folks with you, not to bully them, but just to get the facts straight. Because you know what they might be able to say is, hey, buddy, you got it wrong. Not the person you think sinned against you. You got a little accountability built in there. Christians are different because Jesus is different. We are loved, cared for, united to Jesus so thoroughly that we never reach the end of our obligation to love. And so we must stay connected to Jesus, right? I mean, John chapter 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If we get separated from, we're branches, if we get separated from the vine, there's no, nothing coming our way, no life, no ability to love. The first is debt. We never get to our obligation to love one another. Second is he gives our love direction. Paul ties love to the law. Now, if Paul's, here, here's, here's what I thought I was in my notes. If Paul just said, just love each other, it'd be like the Beatles, right? All you need is love. Love, love, love is all you need. I mean, that, man, let me, that is a juicy, that's like a, that's like a Twinkie, man. It feels good for a minute, but not for long, right? I mean, that is so, it is so uh, open to interpretation. You can make some serious spiritual mush out of just love. All you need is love, right? The law of God reflects the character of God. When we're in Christ, we want to love like Christ loves. And so then we're going to love in a way that adheres to his character. Listen, you're not saved by the law. You're saved by his grace. But the law acts as a sort of guardrail. It keeps us pointed in the right direction. I think Paul would prefer we say so middle of the road with this that, that we don't need the guardrail. But we want to love according to the character of Christ. 
All right? John Stott, the late theologian, said, love and law need each other. Love needs law to give it direction, but law needs love to give it uh, inspiration. And the world around us insists, I get to decide for myself what love is, how I want to be loved, and how I'm going to love other people. Christians are different. We recognize how we have been loved by the author of love, the Lord of all there is. Who we, we have been died for by the King of glory. We've been united to the resurrected Savior. So we're going to love like he loves. Because that's real love. And we're going to live like he lives. So Paul says, honorably, as in the daytime. We all know what Paul's getting at. I don't have to go through it here, right? Not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy. But loving. Even when it's hard to love, because we've been loved when we were hard to love. Forgiving, because we've been forgiven. Reconciling, because we've been reconciled. And we're doing it all in his strength and for his glory. The law is not our gateway to heaven. It's just our guardrail. Keep us on track. Because Jesus is different. Which means those who've been bought by his blood are consequentially different. What about you? Are you different because of Jesus in your life? Have you been soaked by the grace way? Here's the last thing I want to say. We are not pursuing difference. We're pursuing Jesus because he's pursued us. And the earnest pursuit of Jesus Christ is called discipleship. Right? We're disciples of the Lord Jesus, and that makes a difference. We're not adding to this skill and that skill, and we know this much and that much. We're going, we're, it's not an addition, it's deepening. We're deepening with Jesus. And the fruit of that deepening, the fruit of that difference in our lives is called service. And I want to spend a lot of time in the next weeks and months talking uh, about discipleship and service. Because we're different. Because Jesus is different. And that's real good. Amen.